So open up your Bible, if you would, to 1 Peter. We're getting down towards the end. We're in chapter 5. If you're newer here, we most of the time walk through portions of the Bible, line by line, and, and chapter by chapter, to get all of what God is telling us. And today, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 5, and just a couple of verses, verses 5, 6, and 7. But I want to recap, because if it's your first time, you're getting part two of a conversation. Last week, we looked at Peter, who is the leader in God's church. God uh, raised up apostles, sent ones, representatives, to plant churches and share the good news all over the empire after he ascended into heaven and promised to return. And Peter, of all of his leaders, is probably number one. And at the end of the letter, he gets hyper-practical to Jesus' people. Remember, he's writing to churches all over the place. And he wants us to lead well. God wants you to lead well. If you follow Jesus, Jesus wants you to grow and lead yourself well. Lead your family well. Lead those in your neighborhood well. If you run a business, lead your employees or your colleagues well. If you're a teacher, lead your classroom well. If you're a student, lead your friends well. He wants us to lead. And there were five things we saw last week. The reason I'm recapping is because today we're going to look at the flip side of the coin. Leaders ought to be, write these down if you missed it, accountable, caring, willing, honest, and serving. These aren't the only leadership qualities, but in Jesus' church, let's talk about us. We ought to be accountable to one another, caring about one another, desiring to help, willing. Look, if we as a church have to pull you and like coerce you and guilt you into serving, we've missed the point. We all ought to be willing to do what God tells us to do. We want to be honest, not selfish, not self-gaining. And in the end, we want to follow Jesus who didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the good of many. We want to be these kinds of people. On those you may find one or two that you're doing well in, well, there's grace for you to allow the Spirit to build into you a character that will lead well. So these are areas to grow in. And by the way, in the end, we're all leading under the chief shepherd. Elders are shepherds, which is carers, those who care. And we're all doing it under the chief shepherd, Jesus, who cares for us all. And so today, this is really nice, we're going to start this week our conversations in our community groups. If you came in and they were handing out a piece of paper and you didn't pick it up, this is actually for you. Get it before you go. We commit to three times a year, seven weeks. We'll extend it when it comes to the fall, but uh, the spring, seven weeks in a row to talk about what we're hearing on Sunday because the goal is that we learn from one another. This is part one where you get some information. I think the real transformation happens when you begin to wrestle with the questions and you are honest about your response to these questions. You gather, hopefully you have some food, dinner or dessert or whatever, and then you out of talking to one another, pray for one another, and then when the meeting is over in a community group, that you're thinking about someone for the rest of the week and praying for them or checking in or texting or saying, hey, how's that going? This is how we grow as Jesus' people. And if you're newer to our church, this is how we grow as a church. We don't do a lot. We do few things, hopefully well. This is the center. This is the engine of our community. We're inviting you. If you're not in one for this session, Come the fall, we do it fall, winter, spring, and then the summer, everyone goes on a hike, including our community groups, and we invite you to join. All right, what, why don't we put up the slide with the verses we're going to look at, and let's read it. 
I'm going to say because it's so short. Um, let's read the next verses all together. It's 1 Peter 5. If you have your Bible, we'll start in verse 5. Let's do it together. 1, 2, 3. In the same way, you who are younger, submit to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is so good, so short, but filled with so much. Notice how it starts in the same way. God has a word, and Peter is used by God to give a word to leaders, right, about accountability and, and humility and honesty and all those important traits. But he also has a word to the younger, to the elder, those who are physically older in the church. In their culture, as in many cultures, with age came honor. So in their day, the leaders of the church were more than likely the older people within the community because God had worked in and through their lives for a longer period of time. So they had experience to help shape the younger. And then there's a group of elders in the church who were raised up to actually lead. But he's got a word not just to leaders, but to learners. Today we want to learn like Jesus. How, how do we learn like Jesus? Well, first we, we, we recognize that no matter what phase of life we're in, Jesus has something to say. So Today, if you are in a position in life where you are mostly leaning, a leading, there's a word for you, don't stop learning. And there's a word for those of us who may be a little bit younger, maybe you're getting into it, you're still in school, middle school, you're in high school, you're like, well, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. You may be leading a, a younger sibling. You may be leading a friend of yours who doesn't know Jesus like you do. Uh, who may be a little less experienced in sports or in academics or whatever else, like you are. So you are a learner and you're a leader. Well, what's the word or the words to learners? We want to we get both sides of the coin. Three, I'm going to invite you to write them down. Three phrases that we ought to remember in our learning. The first is this, the beauty of submission. The beauty, which sounds like a paradox here. Of submission, I grew up um, in the early days of television. That one was first came out, but but um, on Saturday Saturday morning wrestling. Now now it's like all the time. This entire industry is dedicated to it. But this was early when when wrestling was on on Saturday mornings. And this is not the real wrestling like you do in high school, or whatever, or you know, with like the actual athletes. This is like the acting wrestling. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and you're still into it. God help you. So. But when I, literally, when I hear the word submission, I think of Saturday mornings watching wrestling, and then me and my brothers would like enact the moves on the couch, which was uber dangerous, don't do that. But, but when I think of putting someone in a hole, like the chokehold, right? You put them in the chokehold until they tap out and submit. I don't know that's done in regular wrestling as well, but immediately for me, submission is about strangling someone until they can breathe no more. I don't know why, I, but when I think of it, that's, <laughs> pray for me, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I love submission. Okay, strange. Uh, my mental picture is negative, and that's unfortunate, because it says, in the same way, those who are younger, submit yourselves 
to your elders. For me, it's immediately like elders doing chokeholds, which I don't know how to do. Neither should an elder do, unless you deserve it. They, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. But submit here is actually a beautiful word. Subject yourself to come under, obey. And, and this is not like a popular idea, but it's a biblical idea. And by the way, if you're new to reading this part of the Bible, this is repeated again and again. I'll put it on the screen just to help remind you. We've looked at all of these before. First Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Jesus' followers submit to human authority, whether emperor, supreme authority, governors, and goes on and on. You keep moving on. A few verses later, slaves, in reverent fear of God, you should submit yourselves to your masters. So those under work authority, submit yourself to your boss. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. I'm catching these lines. It's easy to misunderstand this. Most of the time in the Bible, when you hear about submission, it's mutual. Most of the time, it is not. Hey, this group, submit to that group. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to, notice, one another out of reverence for Christ. Most of the time in the Bible, when you're, when you're reading the whole dialogue about what it means to come under authority, or what it means to obey, it's talking about mutually. So, so parents, you're not supposed to rile up your kids. And kids, you're supposed to obey, obey your parents in the Lord. This is good for you. It's, it's both ways. Here's why. Elders are leading under the chief shepherd. We saw that last week. And when we get this right, when we learn to lead like Jesus and love people like Jesus, there's great reward for you and for the people under you. And, and, and you see this all over the life of Jesus. Jesus is in his very nature God. And he listens to his parents. Jesus uh, shows himself to the people and demonstrates that he is God's messenger, God's Messiah. He does miracles. He teaches with authority like no one else. But at the same token, he submits, he comes under the authority of the temple priest. This is crazy. Jesus goes and does the sacrifices at the holy days like everyone else, even though he's above all of them. Jesus goes to worship at the synagogue on the Lord's Day. Jesus keeps the Torah, the Word of God, the Bible, and honors it even though he's the author of it. Jesus submits himself and pays his taxes. Jesus is not a rebel rouser. Jesus is not trying to flip the system. Jesus doesn't start a revolution. Now, Jesus challenges the status quo. And when people get it wrong, Jesus teaches the right way. So it's not like Jesus is ignoring, but Jesus patterns how to lead well and how to learn well. And for most of us, we are called to do both at the same time. How do we learn like Jesus? Well, we remember the beauty of coming under Jesus in the garden. He's going to give his life and he knows it and he knows it's suffering. 
extreme. No one suffered like Jesus because not only was he beaten and, and destroyed in body, he had always been in the closest presence of his father and he knew that for moments that closeness would not be felt like it always. He said, I always say what my father says. The only thing I do is what my father's doing. Me and the father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. No one can say that like Jesus. But he knows that in, in these moments, these dark moments, in order to pay for our sin debt in full, that he's going to feel differently and, and, and the father is not going to be as close. Yet in the garden, what does he say? If you could take this cup from me, father, do it. But I come under your good rule. I come, I, Lord, not, not what I would want, but your will be done. And, and this is how we see Jesus as a great leader and a great learner. Now, why, why is this important? Because today, outside of the faith, for the most part, the ideology that is ever increasing in our world is that you, not God, are the center of authority. That's the common worldview. The common worldview is everyone equally has their own ideas about life, about truth, about reality, uh, about what is right and wrong, about what is helpful and not. And in the end, the ultimate authority is not the creator. I was golfing yesterday. Uh, I just went last minute because the morning turned out to be nice and ended up uh, just being paired up with a young lawyer, two young kids. And we were golfing, you know, asked, what do you do? He's a, he's a lawyer. Oh, great, great, great. What do you do? Here we go. Hey, I'm a, a pastor of a church. He's like, oh, cool. It's like, he's really suave or, all right, there's something going on here. And so as we were golfing, just having a good time, asked him about his faith journey. Hey, you and your family, do you have any faith connection? And he's like, well, I used to as a kid. Tell me about that. And he, and he told me a story how he grew up in a particular denominational church, but his parents were in the military, so he went to like a military um, uh, church on Sundays, but it was, it was Protestant, which was weird. Then they flipped the cross and became Catholic right afterwards, which he thought was funny. And you know what he said today? He's, I said, well, where would you consider yourself right now? And he's like, I'm more like a humanist. I think that God can be felt around me. And I, I think there's divine, but on a hike, I feel the presence of God. But that whole thing about like the Bible and like the truth and the Jesus bit, I, I would go to church for the social dimension, but the whole, the whole belief thing, I just don't, I don't buy any of it. And I thought that's very Portland and that's very now. And, and now, our, unfortunately, our conversation didn't make its way back to center on some of the downfalls of that. But the reality of it is, you and I are not the ultimate authority. This is why we, as Jesus followers, need to learn well, because God, the creator, is the ultimate authority. And we live under his rule, either willingly or rebelliously, but friends, you ain't ruling. You're not. You're not ruling in the ultimate way that you think you are. And so Jesus' people ought to remember that submission is not a negative word. It's a beautiful word. Jesus shows the better way. And now Peter reminds us, uh, you who are younger in God's, in God's kingdom, right? Physically younger, you're a younger person. You have elders who are older or in maturity or in leadership. What we can do is, if I'm not at that level, I can learn to put myself under good rule. And there's the caveat. 
coming under and submitting is not chokehold. So we're not talking about doing blindly whatever anyone tells us. That's spiritual abuse, is to say, like, I got to do whatever my leader uh, says to do because, because they're my leader. No, if they're not accountable and caring and willing and honest and a servant, but rather they're abusive and they're selfish and they're contradicting the Bible and the way of Jesus, no, we're not to blindly follow, just like Jesus points out the hypocrisy in Israel's leadership. So in the same way, we speak the truth in love. So here's my word to the younger people um, in, in our church, whether you're younger in age or just younger in, in God's place of usefulness, you're newer, take your place, do your part, join in the beautiful thing God is doing. God's put you here for a reason. Church isn't a show for five or six people. It is a house where every single thing, by the way, in your house has a purpose. Some are seen, some are unseen. Everyone is vital. You have your place. Please take your place. The Bible is described as, uh, the church is described as the temple where, where God's presence dwells. And the fact that you are here matters. Okay, so the first thing is we need to s- submit, Right? And that's a beautiful thing. The second thing is in verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. The second thing I want you to write down is the importance of humility. Uh, if we're going to learn like Jesus, and notice, by the way, the word is to everyone. So, last week, a word to elders. Be careful, lead well. Then a word to the younger, those who are learners. But now... To everyone, leader and learner alike, there is a word called humility. And I love the visual. Clothe yourself. Literally, it means put on. Like, it may not naturally be on, but put it on. Why? Live humbly. Because the kid said so. I love that. They're amazing. Uh, We're one week closer to their classes, but for now we rejoice because... (laughs) It is a beautiful sound to hear the kids screaming at Miss Jamie. It's beautiful. I love it. And notice how they're doing it respectfully. Uh, why do we live this way? Because the Bible, the Bible tells us. Peter, notice Peter's rationale is everyone put on humility. Why? Because I'm a leader and I said so. No, because he quotes Proverbs 3:24. God opposes the proud, but his favor. To the humble, God is wise. And if you want to live as a wise person under God's good rule, if you want skill for living well under the creator God, God's never going to bless the proud. Now, the proud will do well in life and frustrate us. Just read all the Proverbs. You know that for a season, those who are proud, those who are haughty, those who are puffed up, those who have evil intention, they do Well, and it is frustrating to the righteous, but in the end, God is not with them. At the end of your life, let me just give you a hint. You want God with you. At the accounting of your life, and everyone will give an account, you want God saying, well done, good, faithful servant. Enjoy the master's reward. God's favor is not on the proud. It's on the humble. Oh, how do we know this? Just 
look at Jesus. Philippians 2, who in his very nature is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But no, he humbled himself, taking on the very form of a servant, and he gave his life even to death. Jesus is the essence of humility, which is not weakness. It's actually strength. So the word to everyone is, is humble yourself, which is a real, it may not be a challenge for you, but it's a real challenge for me. Uh, there are lots of things that are a challenge, but when it comes to giving God the credit for things that God did, I think I, think I deserve a lot more credit <laughs> a lot of the time. I'm being honest. And when I, when, we fir- when I first started preaching, I just come out of school studying to preach, which means I don't know what I'm doing. And first guy that I'm serving with, Luis Palau, some of you know him. Uh, he's now with Jesus. At the time, Luis was 61, and I was 22. And I heard him preach, and I was thoroughly unimpressed. Unimpressed. I was like, yeah, I was all right. I was pretty good. And, and then we joined his team. And the more I heard him preach, I'm like, I, I, actually, I, I'm, I could do better. I, and I'm not exaggerating. In my mind, I was convinced I could do better. So, so I, and again, at, at 22, I was like, yeah, he's kind of old school. He's like past his prime. And what you need to do is, but he's got a great organization. Give me the microphone and, and we, will be, we will be more fruitful. Give it a few years. I'll probably take over. Um, <laughs> even though Luis is one of the greatest evangelists of our time, here's one of the many things I confused. I confused speaking ability with a deep walk with God. And I realized over time that it was not, now by the way, he was more dynamic of a communicator than I will ever be. His secret was he could be so simple, you just didn't realize he was strangling you with truth. And he did it in a funny way, in a lighthearted way, but he was very intentional and he knew what he was doing. But I, I confused with present, presentation, with walking with God in humility when no one's watching. And it was the overflow of his life with God that gave him the platform and the ability not just to preach well, but to lead well and to live well and to end well. Lots of people start well, not everyone ends well. And you can start well and not end well if you are blinded by pride. And so here's the good news. I am not as proud as I was in my 20s. I'm growing, seriously growing slightly. And, I'm, and, and here's what I'm learning. We're all blinded by something. The only question is, what's blinding you? By the way, if you're blind, you can't see it. So God uses people in your life for a purpose. So the word to leader and learner, everyone, humble yourself. Submit yourself. Oh, why does Peter get this way? Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, into God's mighty hand, so that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. What we don't realize, because we don't know the Bible as well as they did, was that was a trigger phrase. God's mighty hand was a short way of saying, remember Israel and God's mighty hand. Think back in your Bible to the Exodus. God's people are enslaved. And God says, I'm going to deliver you. 
and he sends Moses. But Moses didn't deliver them out of Egypt in the land of promise. God did. How did God do it? By his mighty hand. God did the plagues to demonstrate to Egypt that he is supreme. And yes, God used a leader, Moses, Aaron, super important. But Israel was always a remember. It was God who did it. God's mighty hand. So they could never, they could never take credit for it. And so why humble yourself? Because remember, oh, look back, God's mighty hand. By the way, right now when he writes to them, they're going through severe persecution and it's going to get worse. But they can remember God's mighty hand. When the, the frogs came and just swarmed, when the locusts came and swarmed, when the hail came and swarmed, when the, when the water turned to blood, when God's hand was present, all of Israel was confused because they had to walk through it as well. When God was delivering Israel out, I need you to catch this. They didn't avoid some of the pain and some of the hurt as God was getting ready to release them. God was setting them free, but they had to walk through some tough times in order to see their deliverance. And he says to the church, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Right now may be tough for you. Right now may be a season of suffering. Right now may be a season of hardship. And you're confused because you're like, God, you love me. God, you're supposed to deliver me. God, I'm your child. Why am I walking through this? What Israel didn't realize yet was he was about to launch them out. And then when they were in the desert, they were going to face in other armies, and God was going to deliver them. And when they got into the land, they were going to face other armies, and God was going to deliver them. And when they took possession of the land, they were going to face other armies, and God was going to rescue them. All throughout life, God's blessing doesn't mean we don't go through seasons of hardship. Just because he's with you doesn't mean you're going to avoid some moments of pain or confusion, but don't you forget, I love it, God's mighty Hand. Isn't that good news? We can learn from the scriptures because it will make us wise. And so the third thing I want us to see, because when we realize that God is for us, and yet I'm going to walk through seasons of struggle that I don't understand, I need to remember the third thing. Write it down. The cure for anxiety. This is for the learner. Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. There's beauty in submission. Don't forget the importance of humbling yourself. You only know a little bit about your life. You don't know what God knows. But the, the, the cure for anxiety, and when I, when I say anxiety, i got to be careful because I, I recognize we, it's such a big word in our culture today, uh, when Peter is talking about anxiety, he's using a word that means worries and cares. Cast all of your worries and cares on him because he cares for you. So we need to be careful because some are going through anxiety because of a physical, medical condition or a traumatic experience and you are facing gut-wrenching, overwhelming anxiety. I don't know if Peter is necessarily talking about that and the cause of anxiety is so varied we want to be really careful when I say the cure for anxiety because it's a complex issue but here's what you need to know 
whether it is profound and medical or traumatic or just part of the human existence where we all have worries and we all have cares, what are we called to do? We're to cast them. That means transfer them. The word literally means transfer. Transfer your worries and cares because he cares for you. All right, three things that I think are going to help us and we want to respond and worship and come to God because some of us have walked in with lots of honest-to-goodness worries and concerns. And can I just validate, it's okay to be worried and it's okay to be concerned. But you, you have a choice to make. If you want to learn well, you want to lead like Jesus, learn like Jesus, know to transfer that anxiety. Lord, I don't want this cup, but I transfer your will be done, your kingdom come, not mine. Even Jesus in his darkest moment was able to find the love of the Father that gave him the ability to make it through. And, and out of knowing what was going to happen because of you and me being far from God, we're going to be brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the joy set before him, which is mysterious because he was going to be in pain, but he knew what it was going to do. He could, he could push his desire and, 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 and push his anxiety and, and transfer it over to the Father because he knew that the Father cared for him. The Father wasn't going to abandon him. So three things, write them down real quickly that I think we could take from, from the three things we learned, three implications. Number one, we don't have to make things happen on our own. Look, you don't have to make your life happen. God places you, if you follow Jesus, in a body. He structures you together with other people. You can lean on the strength of others. And by the way, if you're going through a tough time, there are others who are not. And they can be strength for you. Or maybe you're in a great season of life. God can use you to shore up someone else. How are you doing at submitting yourself to other people, opening yourself up to other people, casting your worries and cares on Him because He cares for you? You don't have to make your life happen. God will make it happen. Second thing is we could trust God's plans and timing. I don't know why things happen, and I don't know when they're going to end, and I don't know a lot of things, but I know that God's mighty hand needs to be factored in the equation. God's mighty hand is with you. So how are you doing at factoring God into your current trouble? Are you even asking? Are you inviting we, we can trust him. He's trustworthy. His track record is perfect. And finally, we don't have to live anxiously. We're in a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Jesus follower, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have worries or cares, but you actually have an outlet. God's enabled you with the ability to transfer that and bring it to him. You don't have to live constantly anxious because you can release that. And that may be moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. Uh, God is there and he's with you and he cares for you. So let's respond to him. We're going to take communion in a moment. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would. And uh, if you're at home and you don't already have the bread and the cup, I'm going to invite you to grab those. Here in the building in a moment as this first song is played, we're going to invite you to go 
around the room and pick up the bread and the cup. And, and when we pick it up today, can you visualize with me God's mighty hand? God's mighty hand. Uh, the bread and the cup, Jesus' body, Jesus' life given for you is God's mighty hand on display. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's ruling. He's with you. He's for you. And grab it, and is our, as is our practice, we're going to take it together after this first song. So I invite you to grab the bread and the cup, and uh, we'll take communion in just a few moments. If you need prayer for anything, friend, cast your cares on him. How do we do that? We pray one for another. Yes, we pray to God, but God calls us to pray one for another, and we have a space for you to the back, towards the left. We invite you to get prayer for anything that you're going through. And, and by the way, this is part one. I'm going to invite you this week to wrestle with and to be honest about the cares and anxieties in your life. And I pray that your, your time together in your community group is rich with honest transactions and that healing comes as you bring these things to Jesus together. Lord, we thank you that you're moving. We thank you that you will never fail. We sang it. You will never fail. You won't. And God, we, we claim that as true over our worries and over our cares. We transfer them to you, Lord, even as we worship and sing and pray and take the bread and the cup and give and all of these things. We turn to you, Lord Jesus, and invite you into this experience, even though it's trying and troubling. We invite you in, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you make your way even now, if you're in the room at home, why don't you take a moment, and if God stirred you, just pray, talk to him. Present that care, that burden. If you need prayer for something, you can click the prayer button and talk with one of our friends online, and we would love to pray with you, even by chat. Uh, we can exchange emails or phone numbers and pray in person or on the phone. Um, don't miss the moment to encounter God's presence together. We're going to worship, we're going to sing, we're going to receive.